Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, welcome back to another uh, episode of Yolitics. Last week, Jason Wheeler got a lot, a lot of flack for the name of his beer. What else is new, right? He, Come on. He was drinking Buffalo Butt, and it wasn't even me giving him flack. You know, is that what it's called, uh, Buffalo Butt? Is that what it was? It, it was. It was called Buffalo Butt, and it was by uh, Rar and Sons Roar. out of Fort Worth. Yeah. And and you know, I tried to explain to people on social media who you know maybe didn't like the name. Um, I, I don't name these things. I just drink them. You know, <laughs> and and uh, let's remember, I don't even know how that ended up in my refrigerator. Like that wasn't something I went out and decided to buy. It just it was there. Maybe your children there. brought it in. <laughs> Maybe Mrs. Somebody brought else brought in. it into this household. You know what I've got this week, though? And this is a actually a Jason Whiteley special. Ah. You recognize that right there, ah, right? Blood a and Honey. for Blood and Honey. That's nice. This is your go-to, isn't it? That, I, I've seen you order this like 10 times. That, that's delicious in a uh, pint glass, too. I, I, I tell you, I've got to go uh, make a, uh, a grocery store run because I'm... Uh, I'm doing Dos Equis. I had Tecate oh, wow. last Tecate week. Tecate last week. Dos Equis this week. And I have a like a German. I have like one random German beer in there and a, a couple of Heinekens that a friend of mine gave me. So Now, do you add anything into the Dos Equis like you do with the Tecate? I should. Some tahine in there maybe, but no, I'd, I'd get it all over the place on this computer. I think you overdid it last week anyway. And that was, we can't forget what a terrible pour that was. It's good to see you just drinking out of the bottle this time. And regular listeners to our podcast remember when I spilled everything on top of our equipment. Uh, pre-pandemic, so and you spilled I'm, it the other day too. So I am. You know, I'm taking it. There's easy a common now. thread, right? And that's before he's even had a sip. Uh, so uh, we've been doing a, a couple of, I think, fascinating interviews here, uh, discussions that we've been having with folks who are part of Trib Fest this year. Uh, that's a big festival put on by the Texas Tribune. Last week, you'll remember, we had Beto O'Rourke. Uh, so, you know, of course, we, we balance things out here and we're on the right side uh, of the aisle this week. We are, and we have uh, Alan West. He is um, the current chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. Alan is a busy guy. I'm, I'm sure you've seen him. You, you may know something about him. Uh, he's a former lieutenant colonel in the army. He was a congressman from Florida. Uh, he he's he's hard to he's hard to to nail down and get for an interview. Um, mm-hmm. But he blocked off uh, what a half hour or so for us today for this episode. And as you're about to hear, man, you can tell how busy this guy is because his his Skype would not stop ringing in the middle of our conversation. Yeah, there's like five other people who are now complaining, saying exactly what you just said. This this guy's really hard to get for an interview because he kept pressing ignore uh, while we were still talking to him about a wide range of subjects, everything from the state of politics here in Texas to what he expects nationally come November. And uh, he's not believing those polls. You have a hell of a resume here. Lieutenant Colonel in the Army, Bronze Star recipient, Congressman from Florida, now Chairman 
of the Republican Party of Texas. What should we call you, Mr. Chairman, Lieutenant Colonel, <laughs> Allen? What do you prefer, Mr. West? No, Al, Allen is fine. Mr. West was my dad. <laughs> ah, love that. Well, Allen yeah. is easy. I like uh, that. We, we yeah. appreciate that. Hey, we're, we're uh, 50 days away, Allen, from the, uh, uh, the presidential election. Uh, polls have showed that it's going to be tighter in Texas than we've seen in a couple of decades. Ted Cruz has even said, you know, hey, we need to take this seriously to his fellow conservatives. How close do you think it's going to be uh, between Biden and Trump in our state? Well, I really don't think it's going to be that close uh, because just think what happened this past weekend. You had over 7,000 cars and trucks in a Trump train in Laredo, Texas. Uh, a couple of weekends ago, you had a Trump train that was organized and uh, happened in the Rio Grande Valley. So you are seeing things happen that uh, are not typical of the previous election cycles. And why do I think that is occurring? It's because this is about principles and values. And the very first thing that this really does come down to is that rule of law and law and order as opposed to the rule of the mob. And when you look at uh, Austin, Texas, and the fact that you can't really go down on 6th Street at night in Austin, Texas, it's all boarded up. The homeless situation is there, the defunding of the police by 150 million. The fact that we know now 90% of the live music establishments in Austin, Texas will not be coming back. People are seeing that and people are concerned about that. And Texas has the 10th largest economy in the world. So I know that a lot of the polls are calling it close. Those are a lot of registered voter polls. But I think that when you get out and about on the, in this state and you see the energy, you see the concerns on people's faces and, and their thoughts, uh, I don't think it's going to be as close as mm. some people are saying. So you think the polls are wrong? Well, I tell you what, you look at the track record for polls in the last few election cycles, I would not be uh, betting with them. Uh, I think that the biggest poll that I see out there right now is the poll when you start to look at the gun sales, when you start to look at the ammunition purchases, when you start to look at see who is out there taking concealed carry license classes. And those are suburban white women. And I see them every single time when I'm out and about. And that's a very important poll that no one has taken into account. So I am, you know, I play the game like it's fourth quarter. I'm down by two touchdowns, but I got the ball. But I think that there's going to be a really uh, interesting result. When you think about what just happened out there in Los Angeles County with those two sheriff's uh, deputies being shot, I mean, really, they were targeted uh, for assassination in an ambush. Uh, that's something that the American people, and especially here in Texas, we support our, our law enforcement. We back the blue. We defend our police. We don't want to see them defunded. How important are suburban women to the November vote? I think it's hugely important. Uh, and when you look at the issues out there, like I say, safety and security, their concerns, as well as uh, education for their for their children, that's another big concern. And think about the vote that was just taken by the Texas State Board of Education, this sex education curriculum that uh, I think this very radical leftist agenda wants to impart, that uh, was voted down just nine to six. That's how close things are here in Texas. So there's a concern about educating our children, not indoctrinating our children. And then also you live in a state, sadly, Texas is the number one state in the United States of America for human and sex trafficking. It was just a couple of weeks ago, we had 10 uh, human trafficking stash houses that were busted along the Texas-Mexico border. So that's also a big concern for suburban uh, women. Yeah. And so, when, again, when you start talking about defunding police and abolishing ICE and making our streets more dangerous, that's not something they want to align themselves with. 
Well, Alan, a lot of these, you know, the, the, some of the problems that you're, you're citing here, though, there would be people on the other side who would say, but this has been happening under Republican control of this state and this country. What do you say to people? Well, I would say to them that if you can imagine that you have this situation with Republican control, imagine how exacerbated it would be under Democrat control. At least we have a Republican governor that wants to secure our borders. We have people on the uh, on the left side that say we should have open borders. That we should. Uh, I don't know what this is. Is that yours? We got multiple calls coming in there. <laughs> Tell them you're busy with us, Alan. I, 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 yeah, no, I don't know where that came from. I think someone's confused. Hey, who, who was that? Was that the White House or who was that? No, I doubt that. <laughs> it could no. have been. <laughs> no, I, I just think I, I think that when you look at the chaos and the violence that are on the streets in many of these blue states, uh, where you have the, uh, the, the, the gubernatorial leadership from the Democrat Party, it would be a whole lot worse. At least we do have leadership here that is trying to fight against those issues. You have a Republican legislature in the last session that did take on the issue of tougher sentencing and penalties for you know being involved with human and sex trafficking. Alan, we, we've tried to book you for our television program also, Inside Texas Politics, it airs across the state. And you are a busy man because... You've had to, to kind of shift it around a few times. But the last time we were going to get you, uh, you had a, a, a kind of a last minute call with with the White House or with the Trump campaign. Are, are you working and helping them on the side or, or what exactly is your role uh, with the Trump campaign? Well, as being the chairman of the largest uh, red state in the United States of America, I think that it's very important that we do work with that campaign and work with the RNC. As a matter of fact, I'll be with the chairwoman, Rona McDaniel, next week down in Georgetown uh, for some events to include a business roundtable. So, yes, uh, they are very uh, focused and very concerned. I think that uh, they are a little bit more comforted to have an old soldier uh, in charge down here in Texas uh, because I think strategically and I know how to execute tactically. Let me ask you this. Uh, you mentioned the governor a couple of minutes ago uh, in, in a good way. Uh, when, you know, the party went through this leadership change where you were selected as the leader of the, the party here in Texas, uh, you had some things to say there, and, and, and I'll quote here. Uh, it, you basically were rallying the delegates against what you said was tyranny that we see in the great state of Texas, where we have executive orders and mandates, people telling us what we can and cannot do, who is essential and who is not essential. What are your thoughts about how Governor Abbott has handled the the pandemic here? And is this uh, is there a split in in the Republican Party here in Texas as to uh, loyalties with regard to that? Well, let me explain something. On 31 July 1982, I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. I did not take a note to a person. I didn't take a note to a political party. And so I will always lean toward the side of the rule of law and what uh, our Constitution, to include the Texas Constitution, says. And our Texas Constitution talks about emergency powers and how the executive branch after 30 days has to come back to the legislature to uh, be given the, you know, the permission to continue on. We're, we're not a constitutional monarchy. We are not to be ruled. We're supposed to be governed. And so I am very concerned when we continue to see a litany of executive orders, mandates, decrees, and edicts that are handed down and they're not uh, brought through the legislative process. I'm concerned about the fact that $275 million has been given to a 
private sector company, MTX, for contact tracing. The only people that are supposed to appropriate taxpayer funds is the Texas State Legislature. So we don't do a good job of teaching civics anymore in our schools. So was really our, confused. Our listeners we're, don't we're, need me to say that you're a busy man. Your, your own uh, account is showing how busy you are. Go, go ahead, though. I don't know who these folks are, but they, they, they are not on the schedule. Let me put it that okay. way. But no, I think that we have to get back to understanding civics. And, and again, we want to see no matter who is there, Republican or Democrat, act within the law and the rule of law and do what is right by the people. And again, when you think about what has happened with COVID-19, this is a virus. It has been a deadly virus for some people, but the CDC report just recently came out and said only 6% of the deaths in the United States of America have been solely because of COVID-19. And we know that we have a 99.96% recovery rate. But when you look at the amount of suicides that have gone up, the domestic abuse, the child abuse, the fact that uh, we have businesses that may never ever be able to recover, uh, I think that we could have done a better job all across the United States of America of focusing on the most endangered demographics, 65 years and above, and those people with those comorbidities such as type 2 diabetes, high, hypertension, uh, the uh, heart disease and obesity, to make sure that we're protecting them. But do you think Governor Abbott has been too heavy handed here then? Well, without a doubt, I think that you see that when when you talk about 90 percent of the live music establishments in Austin, Texas are gone forever. Austin, Texas is no longer can can lay the claim of being the live music capital of the world. And that came out last week in a report. You go down on 6th Street in the capital city of Austin, you can see all of those establishments boarded up. So I think that, uh, yes, when you look at the economic impact and we know that we're going to see that happen and we're going to have to make budgeting uh, adjustments in the next legislative session, I think we could have done some things a lot better. Alan, should should the governor have called a special session and, and let the uh, let the legislature decide some of these absolutely. things? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that's in the Constitution of the state of Texas. There should have been a special session that was brought in. That's why the people have elected representatives. They're state house and their state senate members and we should not they should not want to see their uh power within the legislative branch usurped by an executive branch uh i want to invoke the name of herman cain here because you all go you went way back uh yeah. to when you were kids in fact and well, earlier he's a this little bit year, older <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we do need to note that uh, uh the late herman cain who passed away uh, earlier this year uh, you all released a documentary, though, uh, this year, uh, and, and it was a political documentary film talking about how black Americans factor into the electorate, into politics in the United States. Uh, Texas has the largest black population in the country, and, and you've made the argument that, you know, we're seeing more black people in America who are turning toward the Republican Party. But by and large, uh, it is it, it's still a, a very democratic democratic uh, voting block here in this country. How do you attract, how does the GOP attract uh, more black voters? And is the current message, uh, you know, in light of all the protests and so forth, this law and order message, is that the right message to the community to get them? No, I, I absolutely think it, it is part of the right message. And Herman Cain and I, uh, we share the fact we were both born and raised there in Atlanta, Georgia. He was an incredible mentor for me and a dear friend. As a matter of fact, I just had him in my home back uh, June the 18th and 19th. 
the documentary Uncle Tom, which is the oral history of black conservatism, was directed and produced by a young Dallasite by the name of Justin Malone. So Dallas should be very proud of that. And I'm very honored to be not the first, not the second, but the third black chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. And it was founded on Independence Day of 1867 by 150 black men in Houston, Texas. So I think that if we start to talk about the history of the Republican Party and our principles and values, we will find that connection with the black community, which is truly conservative in nature. And when you look at the approval rating that President Trump has had in the black community, anywhere from a low point of about 22, 24% up to a high point of a little over 30%, that is why you see the left being very nervous, castigating him as a racist and what have you. But look at his policies, the policies of criminal justice reform, support to historic black colleges and universities, education opportunity scholarships, the low unemployment rate, economic opportunity zones. All of these things are proof positive that he is turning things around in the inner city communities. And when you start talking about defunding police, it's not the people that live behind the gated communities that have to be concerned the most. It's the people in those low income neighborhoods that have to be concerned the most. Joe Biden has already come out and said, that uh, one of the first things he wants to get rid of are charter schools. One of the most successful schools in New York City is a charter school in Harlem called Success Academy. And so we need to look at better education opportunities, education freedom. You saw the president give an education opportunity scholarship to a young girl that was uh, there at the State of Union address from the inner city of Philadelphia. So he's making the connections. And I think that if we get back to talking about those things, that I was raised on, strength of family, uh, our faith heritage, quality education, and uh, small business entrepreneurship and service to the nation. We'll see uh, a change that is happening. I'm telling you that it's gonna be a big difference. Right now, they're saying that President Trump is about uh, 13 to 14% in the black community. I believe he's gonna hit 20%. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What are your plans as a state chairman to make inroads in the big cities that Democrats have in this state. I mean, you guys have it locked up in the rural counties and the fight is over kind of the suburban women that we talked about a moment ago. But the big cities is kind of where you guys need to, you know, start making inroads, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's been the strategic objective of the left is to go into strong conservative states and take over the major urban population centers. But I will tell you guys, that's where you see the greatest amount of failure of the policies of the left. So I think the most important thing that I will be doing and have done to this point is to go into the cities and talk about this, to go in and talk, you know, to the black communities, Hispanic communities. I had a great interview this past weekend with Saigon Radio, which is the Vietnamese community, uh, you know, media outlet here in Texas, huge Vietnamese community here. So when you're starting to engage people, and that's not outreach, I mean, engage is constant, 24-7, 365 contact and talk about policies of inclusive that deal with these issues that they are facing. I don't know why Life's at TV keeps calling me. <laughs> but when you're, when you're talking to them about those issues, I think you make the connections. And then, guys, think about this. I'm a guy that was born in 1961 in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, in a blacks-only hospital. So if there is anyone that can be a testimony to the equality of opportunity that this great nation affords that, uh, you know, allows any child anywhere, as long as you have a drive and determination, good, strong family, uh, you can achieve whatever dreams, desires, hopes and aspirations you want. My dad was a corporal in World War II in the United States Army, and he raised a son who became a lieutenant colonel and commanded a battalion 
in the United States Army. Now his grandson will soon be a lieutenant colonel in the Army as well. That's the American dream. That's what we want to take in all communities. Let me ask you about that. You mentioned, let me turn my phone off here too, man. I'm embarrassed that mine's ringing over here. Um, You mentioned the the service and and thanks to three generations of your family for the service. Um, But I'm curious about the comments that that President Trump has reportedly made um, in the past. The Atlantic reported that that he uh, called servicemen and women who died suckers and losers. Uh, the Trump administration apparently removed the POW MIA flag from atop the White House. Uh, we all remember things he said about the late Senator John McCain. What are your thoughts on this as someone who you described as being an old soldier? Um, what do you think about this? Well, first and foremost, I will tell you that that Atlantic story has pretty much so been debunked. Even John Bolton, who is not a, a, a friend or a fan of President Trump, came out and said he never heard any of those comments. John Kelly, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the press secretary, no one has uh, supported those comments. Well, in fairness, there were several other news organizations that said that they were able to to verify parts of that, including Fox News. Well, I know, but if the people that were right there with him, I don't think that General John Kelly who was a retired Marine four-star general who also had a son that was killed in service to this nation would allow a commander in chief to say something of that nature and not uh, correct him on the spot and not come out and say anything uh, about it later on. So that's where I put my my faith, trust and confidence in. Not so much a lot of the media outlets that are seeking to propagandize a message. But let me let me talk about the results. You don't hear about ISIS anymore. You don't hear about al-Baghdadi. You don't hear about Soleimani. I don't think we have seen any of our sailors being held at gunpoint on a riverine assault craft by the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Navy. So we are looking at the results. We're looking at a military that their capability and capacity has been rebuilt. And I still have friends. I have a nephew that is still in the military and they are telling me what's going on. They're telling me that uh, right now their morale is a lot better because they have a commander in chief that has allowed them to take the fight to the enemy. So I know that the left probably wants to try to undermine the president and undermine his relationship with the military military, but you look at our national security posture, you look at our foreign policy right now, it goes back to what Ronald Reagan talked about, peace through strength. I want to ask you about your days in Florida. You were a congressman there uh, before you moved here to Texas. And how instructive was that for you there? Because Florida, excuse me, Florida is one of those states where it is always close every election. Uh, It's within a point. Uh, What do you bring to the job here in Texas? I know that you don't believe what these polls are saying right now about what we could see in November. They're showing a tight race here in Texas. Have you are you able to draw on anything from your Florida days, though, as you strategize how to lead the party here in Texas? Well, sure. Well, one of the most important things is I remember election night back in 2012 being up by 2000 votes. Then a little after midnight, there was a 4000 vote shift and I was down by 2000 votes. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the most important things that I can bring to the table is make sure that we have integrity in our electoral process and systems. I'm very concerned about some of the things that we have seen the uh, county clerk down in Harris County try to do with this mail-in balloting, which is big difference between absentee balloting. So I think that's what uh, I can bring to the table because having to deal with Brenda Snipes, Susan Booker, and 
and uh, Gertrude Walker, who were three uh, county clerks down there, supervisors of the elections that did not have very good backgrounds when it came to integrity of elections. So I think that's one of the most important things, that keen eye of understanding some of the tricks of the trade out there that the uh, progressive socialists would try to use because they want Texas. I mean, the main reason they want Texas is to control the redistricting. They want to control the courts here. They want to flip our Texas state house, and we cannot allow that to happen. Like I said, Texas has the 10th largest economy in the world. The United States of America is a net exporter of energy resources and energy independent because of Texas. I don't see why we would want anyone else, uh, especially the left with some of their visions and policies to come here and overtake Texas. Let me dovetail off of that real quick, if I can, just uh, with the with respect to mail-in voting. Uh, what if I am, or what if someone out there is in one of these high-risk uh, groups? Uh, they don't meet the eligibility, though, let's say, uh, to be able to send in an absentee ballot here in Texas, uh, but they want to vote Republican. What do you say to that person who's concerned about going to the polls in person? I would say to that person, uh, first and foremost, you can send in an application to get an absentee ballot. That That is something that you are able to do. But what we saw happen here in Dallas County to try to change Texas election code to say that someone that is fearful of having COVID-19, uh, they should uh, get a uh, mail-in ballot. Look, they just had the election up there, their primary election in Wisconsin. They did it in person. And I think they had a very, very small amount of COVID issues. And furthermore, if people are able to go out to the Home Depot, to Walmart and things of this nature, and when you consider the men and women who are our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Coast Guardsmen who are pulling 18, 24-hour patrols and duties and watches. You think about our first responders and police officers. I think that we can put on a mask and if you need to and if you want to, and you can go out there and participate in the electoral process. Now, if you are quarantined, absolutely, you should be able to request that absentee ballot. Hey, before we let you go, a couple last things here, Alan. I don't know the story about how you got involved in conservative politics. Did you know early on uh, that, that you were interested in certain candidates, certain ideas, or did something happen uh, throughout your, your career and growing up? Well, that's what it's all about growing up. I had two great parents. You know, my dad was born in 1920. My mom was born in 1931 down south. And if you can understand, life was not very easy for them, but they taught me a love of country. They taught me about the strength of my faith. They taught me about the strength of family. And when I think about it back then, when I was born, the, the two-parent household in the black community was almost 77% nationally. It's only 24% today. And then I think that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of the chaos and a lot of the issues, drugs, violence that you see in the black community. They taught me about individual responsibility. You know, I always tell people that my dad did not give me an allowance. My dad gave me a lawnmower and a bucket and a water hose. And he told me to go figure it out. And I did. But when you looked at a man who served this country, when this country did not afford him all the rights and privileges, it did others. And he asked me, he told me at the age of 15 that he wanted me to be the first officer in our family. That set me on the path that I am on today. Having parents, even though they were registered Democrats, John Lewis was my congressional representative. They raised me on conservative principles. Wow. Uh, last thing, I, I know you were involved in that, that pretty bad motorcycle uh, wreck not too yeah. long ago. How, you, how are you feeling? You look great now. How are you feeling, man? 
Yeah, I, I am a walking miracle. It is by God's grace that I'm here because people don't survive a motorcycle accident on an interstate highway at 75 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I've completely recovered, I mean, uh, I'm back running up to five miles doing push-ups and, and swimming. Uh, I've got probably a month and a half, two more months of therapy on my shoulder, wow. but uh, three month checkup, the sh the socket bones and everything in my shoulder have completely healed. Wow. No scar tissue, the cartilage is fine. So I, I just give mm -hmm. praise and honor to God for saving and sparing my life. You, are you still riding? No, I'm not going to ride anymore. I rode for 35 years, but I tell you, uh, I can't put my wife, my daughters, and so many of my friends through that again. Uh, because my, my wife had to drive from here in Garland where we live down to Waco and all she knew was that I was in a motorcycle accident mm. and, and that was tough on her. Well, Alan, I'm, I'm glad you're doing better and I hope the rest of the, uh, the therapy goes well too. Thanks for the time today and good luck come November. My pleasure. Good to be with yeah. you guys. So Alan West not riding his motorcycle anymore. That, that, was, that was interesting. Good question there, Jason. I'm also... Um, I also didn't know his his history of uh, conservatism, mm -hmm. and he was talking about growing up in John Lewis's district, and mm -hmm. he was the son of two registered Democrats, mm -hmm. and yet here he is, um, a conservative firebrand, is what many people call him, a, a description I don't think he would argue with. Yeah, you know, it's interesting always to find out what someone's history is, uh, the, the formative uh, part of their lives, and, and, and it basically sets them on this trajectory through life. Uh, and and it sounds like dad especially was uh, a major influence. I mean, telling your kid at age 15, you're going to be the first officer in the family. No pressure there. Uh, but it, it's it's interesting how how people are formed uh, from an early age like that. Uh, he has uh, quite a story to tell. Uh, I mean, just you know, as you started off there, Jason, like, what do we, what do we even call you? Uh, because you know, there's there's so many different things on the resume there, uh, and uh, he's telling his story, by the way, uh, at uh, as part of the Texas Tribune's uh, Trib Fest. Uh, he is up on uh, September 29th uh, from eight to eight thirty in the morning. And, uh, you know, it's it's all open uh, this year. It's all online. Uh, they've had to go online like so many other things. And so, you know, you can listen to him there if you want to hear more. Yeah. And something else that he said in our conversation here with us, Jason, which just kind of struck me is the comments about uh, Governor Abbott and mm -hmm. Abbott should have called in the state legislature to make these decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, Abbott has pushed back a lot on this and to not just to Abbott's defense, but to everyone in any leadership, whether you're running a corporation, a household or a state, um, th there is no, there was no rule book or playbook for handling this thing. So they kind of felt their way through the dark on it. But if you're an elected official, mm -hmm. there's some accountability there. So you obviously answer to the voters. Um, it's interesting to hear that the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas thinks that the governor was too heavy handed yeah. uh, in his response. And, and, and that does bring up some questions. You know, we're just a couple of less than two months away now from a huge election nationally and here in Texas where we could see uh, some you know, tremendous things happening. It could go either way in some cases. Uh, and, and, you know, Republicans are in a position right now where they're sounding the alarms to to voters and saying, hey, we need you to show up because, you know, this thing is tight in a lot of these different races. It is interesting to see that. And that's why I asked, is, is there division within the party? 
right now because, you know, Governor Abbott has his supporters in the party as well. Uh, but this was a pretty strong detraction. And so it just it makes you wonder at this critical time when we're in this home stretch. Does that distract? Does that uh, cause friction? Does that cause an issue uh, when you're going into a really important election here? We, we shall see. Uh, but uh, again, it's uh, it's going to be close here in Texas. It looks like anyway, according to the polls. But, uh, you know, Alan West says don't believe those polls necessarily either. So. Yeah, we, we will find out soon. 50 days away. That's hard to believe. Less than 50 days away when you hear this podcast. That's just that's remarkable to me. Yeah, it's coming. Thanks, as always, everybody, for uh, listening to us for another week. Uh, Be sure to subscribe so that you can get these every Tuesday when we drop them. And and let us know what you think uh, on social media uh, or leave us a comment there. And um, maybe my choice of beer this week won't get panned uh, for the name. Yeah. And and who you'd like to hear from, too. If there's a figure in Texas politics, uh, hey, we'll certainly reach out and see if we can uh, grab them. And if you have any beer suggestions for Wheeler, I'm sure he'll definitely take them or whoever buys the groceries in his house, which uh, remains uncertain as well, too. But anyways, thanks for listening this week and we'll see you next Tuesday.